Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world. Thank you so much. Isn't he good? Let's celebrate that goodness. Thank you. Very nice. Thank you so much. You can be seated. We're going to turn in two places today. We're going to turn to the book of Romans, chapter 15, and 1 Corinthians 9. Happy New Year to you. Happy end of the decade, beginning of a new decade. It's significant. I know that uh, man marks calendars and times. It's not necessarily some... Uh, something that falls out of the sky, but yet we do mark these seasons and they're significant. Uh, I really appreciate Pastor James and this church, the events that you see on these secular campuses that we do. We were able to do them for free and give every student a free book who comes uh, largely because of Bethel and Every Nation Support, which is the family of churches that Bethel is a part of. So it's always a joy to stand up in front of unbelievers and they're looking at you like, what's the angle? What are you, what, what, what's going on? And then when you hand them a book for free, they don't think, oh, they're, he's here on a book sale deal. I was in Slovakia, a city called Bratislava, and they've never had a campus Christian event. It's a former Soviet uh, country, uh, Soviet bloc country. And it, when I did the Q&A, some student raised their hand. They said, how do we know you're not here for the money? I said, well, I paid my own way, and I'm giving you a book. What's the catch? And then I said, let me tell you, there is a catch. I said, here's my angle. I said, I'm here to see you saved. I'm here to see you come to know Jesus. That's my motive. That's our motive. So thank you for all you do. The generosity is, is overwhelming, and I appreciate Pastor James and Debbie and their faith in what we're doing, and we're going to see more happen in 2020. Amen? Father, bless us today as we open your word. Help us to shake off familiarity. It affects us with one another. It affects us with your Bible. It affects us with what you're calling us to do. May we hear and see things freshly. May we determine in this time to not be dull of hearing, but to be sensitive. To know that one day that we will come to the end of this life and everything that we wished we would have done, it will be too late to change. Not just about salvation, but about the works we do, the, the way we spend our time. Lord, may we evaluate ourselves and see where time was wasted, where time was just bided rather than purposely and intentionally focused on a task, your task, your purpose. Help us to have that kind of mindset as we go into this new year, this new decade. In Jesus' name. Romans 15, verse 14, it says, I myself am satisfied. I love this, and this is a great verse for a pastor to read. I'm, as Paul writes to the Roman believers, I, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Basically, Paul's saying, you've heard enough, you know enough, you can help somebody. I'm convinced of it. Don't, don't underestimate who you are today. Don't underestimate all the sermons you've heard. They're down there. And as you begin to step out and instruct and help people, it's going to come out. 
You don't need another seminar necessarily. You don't need another, you know. We'll continue to train you, but most of you don't realize how much you already know. Paul was reminding people that he actually had never met. He'd never been there face to face, but he'd heard about their faith. That's a good chance to say amen. That's okay. I don't need it today. I'm doing good. The 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock rather gave me no help at all. I had to do all the amening myself, which is tough when you're preaching. Verse, the next verse, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, even though you know it, I'm going to be boldly saying, because of the grace given by me by, given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul saw the gospel as an offering to God. It wasn't just the money we give. A lot of people just give their money like, okay, you guys do the work. No, Paul said the priestly offering is I'm ministering the word, the people who respond, I'm giving them back to God as an offering. So that's the kind of offering. It's not just our money. There's another kind of offering that he's talking about. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Now, this is encouraging to someone who gives their life fully to this, is that you don't have to be ashamed of being proud of what you do. Paul said, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. To bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem to Elycrium I have fully fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now, we talk a lot about what we do, but there's biblical precedent. You need to know that beyond these walls, something's happening, and so we're not just wanting to brag but Paul says I'm proud of what we're doing and I think it's important that you know that it's important that you know that Bethel and our connected churches when we do a mission offering it's it's really could be called every nation Sunday on the end of the month because we're here to reach every nation so we're in 82 nations now and that we've planted churches not just send missionaries and they run back home they plant they're there and we're by the grace of God, by the year 2040, we believe we can reach every nation on the planet. Isn't that great to be a part of a church that's saying we're not just going to pray for the nations, but in our generation, we're going to see a church planted and primarily targeting young people. So we go to university campuses and put one foot there and one foot in the community. Every, every week of the year, we plant at least two churches a week somewhere in the world. Think about that. Every week, two churches are being planted somewhere in the world. So a lot's going on. When you come to this church, we are, we are praying for you. You are here by prayer. We, we've either gone out and reached you, or you've heard about us, and we want to help you discover what God's put in you. When I was a little kid, one of my favorite things was to get a box of cereal and to stick my hand, unwashed usually, into the cereal and extract the gift. 
you know, and so I'd get the cereal, not based on how it tasted primarily, but by the gift. And as I pull that gift out, usually in the bathroom so nobody could see me getting the gift out first, later I realized that if Captain Crunch can put a gift in every box, God has put a gift in every life. And we, with clean hands and a pure heart, are trying to reach into your life and pull that gift out and let you see it because you got something to do. It's not us, it's you. Every one of us up here were sitting there and somebody helped us and find, and to find the gift that was within us and that's what we want you to, to do. 1 Corinthians 9 is really where my text is but I had to read Romans 15 just so you can see the scope of what ministry is to us. It's, it's about going where Christ has not been named. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 Verse 22, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. This is Pastor James' life verse, I believe. Is this, your, is this am I accurate on this? I don't want to misquote your life verse when it's your life. Read it again. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I became all things, I have become all things to all people that by all means... I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So Paul was basically saying, as we preach, it brings a blessing to people. They may not know it when they first hear it. Like that, those people that would see Jesus and they would say, the demons would speak up and they say, have you come to torment us? I think when they see, when the average person sees a Christian or a minister coming, they look at us and go, have you come to torment me? That's what usually they're thinking when I sit next to them on the airplane. What do you do? I'm a minister. Uh-oh. All right. Then they did, they're, they're bracing themselves as if I've got a lecture coming for them. But that's not where they're. We're not, we're not here to torment you. We're here to help you. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I can share in its blessings with them. So I'm going to talk today about the blessings of the gospel. I could spend a lot of time because this is the last Sunday of the decade. We started the beginning of the decade with a mission. We called it Engage 2020, 10 years ago, to help see evangelism revitalized. When I was back at seminary, uh, after several years of ministry, I got tricked into going into a, a doctoral program at Fuller Seminary, and I tell people I didn't want to be a doctor, I didn't even want to be a nurse, but as I got, it's a bad joke, as others are coming, though, brace yourself. Uh, but as I got through, by the time I got to 2010, when I finished my, my dissertation there at Fuller, I, I began to, to realize that because my focus was on studying the North American church. How are we doing? I mean, we turn on the television, we see big churches, we see all these things, and we think, oh, we must be doing great. And what I found were two startling numbers. Number one, that 70%, that's seven out of 10, young people will leave the faith once they go from high school to college. Now think about that. Seven out of 10. And that precipitated uh, a book. First of all, there was a song called God's Not Dead by our friends, the Newsboys. And then there was 
a book that I wrote, and then I was telling a friend about it. I said, I'm writing a book called God's Not Dead. He looked at me and said, that needs to be a movie. Brought the movie company to me. They followed me around UCLA, and I began to describe to them what goes on on a college campus. My friend wrote the check for the movie, and then there was a second movie and a second and a third movie, and I wrote three books with that. And they just told us that in all the, 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 from the theaters to the DVDs to the streaming, over 200 million people have seen one of those movies. So to God be the glory again, just 200 million people from, but it, but it, but it came primarily out of helping, uh, of hearing that statistic rather, about seven out of 10 people will lose their faith. And so it's exciting as we go on these campuses and we give them a book and they line up to get the book signed and they, they say things to me like, they don't know religious talk, they'll say, I used to be on the other, on the other side, but I'm on your team now. And we're seeing skeptics turn. And once skeptics turn, they become some of the greatest leaders. I mean, instantly. In fact, the people that, some of the greatest leaders you'll ever meet come out of the water. That's after they get baptized. It's something happens when a person is really changed by God. They come out almost preaching immediately. The other statistic was that only 3% of churches in America grow through evangelism. Think about it, 350,000 churches in America of all shapes and sizes. 3% grow through evangelism. 80% are plateaued and declining. And the 17% of churches who do grow, it's mostly through just changing members. Come to our church. That's what evangelism is in America, just trying to get people to come to hear their pastor. And so we tell all our visitors, you, you need to go home. If you've got a church, go back. Be faithful. You know, I mean, don't, don't leave. Uh, just, I mean, you said, well, we, we like Bethel. Well, that's okay. We're going to offend you soon. You, you might as well do it. We can do it today. But when you lead people to Christ, you're going to find out they become friends. They, they, it's like when the disciples looked at Jesus and said, where else can we go? And so we started a thing called Engage 2020, and we've seen some dramatic things happen over the last decade. Uh, churches of all denominations, because what I came out with in my doctoral research was just a few simple things. Number one was people were confused about the gospel. The reason why only 3% of churches are growing is because they aren't clear about the gospel. If you ask somebody, can you explain the gospel, it's almost like saying, how do you get to Atlanta? If you ask somebody, how do you get to Atlanta? And they go, ooh, I got a lot of friends there. I love Atlanta. Great, but that isn't going to help me get there. How do you get there? So hearing this child, young person, recite the gospel, we just created a summary. You heard the child recite it. I don't need to repeat it. But just the clarity of the gospel. Can you articulate it? Can you explain it to someone? Because at the heart of the gospel, not only do you, are you clear about it, but are you convinced it's true? People say to me, are you trying to get, pastor, are you trying to get prayer in the public schools? I said, no, I'm just trying to get prayer in the church. I mean, if we're going to get the world to believe the gospel, it has to start with us. Do you believe the gospel? You know, people in the South, you know, so it's, oh, their, their beliefs are personal. So personal, they haven't discussed it with themselves yet. <laughs> Clarity that it's true. Do you know the heart of the gospel that says that he lived the life we should have lived, meaning he lived perfectly. 
He died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he's the son of God. The, the, re, the reason why we know Christianity is true is because of an historical event. On one campus, a, a Muslim student stood up and began to try to get into a debate on the Trinity, pretending to be somehow neutral, and I'm searching, but obviously I know that they'd been, they, were, they were planted there to really have this discussion, thinking that there was, there was some you know, ex, you know, weakness in the Christian faith, that we believe that God is three but yet one. My response is, I said, my problem with Islam is not theological. Primarily, it's historical. Because the Quran says in chapter 4, verse 157, that Jesus was not crucified. Islam believes that somehow that God rescued or Allah rescued Jesus off the cross and faked everyone out and put Judas up there instead. So God didn't deceive. Jesus died in history. He was crucified at the hands of the people in history that, are the, that were the best at killing you. No one ever survived a Roman crucifixion. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. Christianity started in the very place where it would have been easiest to disprove, in Jerusalem, three days later. I was at one historic black campus, and, and people tried to tell me, well, Christianity is a white man's religion. I said, now, you've got a ge geography problem. Do you know what people in the Middle East look like? I was at Fisk University. I was at Fisk University this past semester, and I had to, I had to beat up white Jesus. I had to beat up all these different Jesuses and just kind of said, that's not Jesus. Florida A&M, a student came up to me and said, Jesus is black. I said, I know, and you still need to repent. <laughs> What's that got to do with it? Well, he was, more, he was more black. He looked more like you than me. But see, that's just ignorance. That's just misinformation. Yeah, a lot of, everybody's tried to capture Jesus and remake him in their own image. Yeah, there has been white Jesus. There has this Jesus and that Jesus and, and, and Mormon Jesus and all kinds of Jesuses out there. But when you look at the real Jesus, there was a real Jesus who lived in history, who really died and really rose from the dead. And when we were clear about that, you could, you could see people come alive. At Fisk University, we started at 7 o'clock, and after they realized that we weren't talking about white Jesus, I think we left at 11. People want to hear about Jesus. So there's a lot going on. I'm going to just jump to this and just say, what are the blessings of the gospel? I have a long introduction, but not a long message. I want your goal this year to become effective in the gospel. I told a group of pastors the other day, I was in Dallas and there was probably a thousand churches represented in the room and I was doing a minister's uh, conference and I said, look, I don't care about your vision. I don't care about your values. I don't care about your strategy or your sermon series. I said, if your people don't know the gospel and don't know how to communicate it to someone else, you're wasting your time. All this is just noise. And I want our church, and this is the heart of Pastor James and this team, but I want to just create maybe a mindset a little differently today. Rather than talk about the, the cross and the, the command of Jesus to preach to every creature and the cross and what he suffered on our behalf, and we could talk about eternity, that heaven and hell are very real. And that ought to be motivation enough that, to know that there is a judgment coming. But yet I want to twist it or turn it a little bit. I shouldn't say twist it, but turn it a little bit 
to talk about the blessings from a very selfish standpoint. Why is it in your best interest that you learn to communicate the gospel to others? Why should sharing the gospel in 2020 become your highest goal? Number one, it builds your faith. People want great faith. They want to they have faith to pray prayers and see prayers answered. But nothing builds your faith like sharing the gospel with someone else. The book of Philemon, one of the small little books there that if you're looking to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read a whole and study a whole book in the Bible. Start with Philemon. Look at this verse in one, of the, one chapter, but it says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. There's a verse coming. It's all right. There's people in the back have done a great job all day. They've had so many graphics. Okay. You could probably make me look a little better if you can do any kind of Photoshopping up there. <laughs> a little bit of the chin. Okay. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So that's why you need to bring your Bible or pull out your phone so you don't depend on technology. He says, as you share your faith, it becomes effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that's in us. The more you share the gospel, the more you realize that all this stuff you've been hearing, you've been hearing sermons for years. When, when Christians say to me, well, I'm, I'm just not getting fed in my church. I go, are you kidding me? If you could see the average American Christian, it's like a child in a high chair with spaghetti and meat sauce and you know, salad, whatever your favorite food is, applesauce. We've got sermon series, messages. We've got conferences. We, we, we've got pastors that, that have to feed you like this. Open your mouth. Come on. It's like, man, you got to come to my church. Our pastor's like a, like a Japanese steakhouse chef. he got scriptures flying all over the place. and we, we aren't fed not because the food's not there. It's that we've never done anything with it. And once you begin to share, all of a sudden you realize how much is in you, how much you know. Any one of you that's been around here for uh, any length of time, you could be planted in a nation where there was nothing but you and a Bible. And watch as you begin to share with other people, watch something happen, things inside of you you didn't realize. Builds your faith. You get spiritual strength. That's why Paul could write, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He didn't get that strength by just saying that verse, which he was writing over and over. He got it because he did all things for the sake of the gospel. And that's where his strength came from. Number two, it builds your confidence in the scripture. We're talking about the blessings of the gospel. You can, you can realize that the, very, the gospel itself gives us a picture of who God is, an accurate picture of reality, of man, of human nature. And as we open the Bible and see in the Bible a mirror of who we really are, we see the world as it really is. In other words, truth is truth because it corresponds to reality. You ever had a picture of yourself and you look at it and you go, that's not me, that doesn't look like me. Well, it doesn't look like me, it's you. A lot of times we see something in the mirror, we don't like what we see. One of the reasons I know this Bible was not a book that we wrote about God, but God inspired about us is because if we would have been the authors of this book solely, we would have made ourselves look a lot better. But this is like a mirror with lights all around it, like the one that your mama had with the magnified side. There it is. 
shows you. See, it builds your confidence in the scripture. Number three, it builds your family. When you understand the gospel and it begins at home and begins to expand, you begin to see your family vaccinated against what's out there. And I fly, I've flown, now it's closing in on four million miles on an airplane on one version or another, but you know, people sneeze all the time. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you just, there's no way you can cover up. You can't bring in your hyperbaric LeBron James oxygen tent. You gotta have an immune system inside of you that can withstand a sneeze. I mean, somebody sneezes unbelief and oh, I'm, I, I, we've lost our faith. I mean, we're losing our faith over paper cuts. Well, I got in philosophy class, and they said, if God is all-powerful, could he create a rock so big he couldn't move it? And I backslid. Well, you didn't have far to slide. <laughs> First of all, that's nonsense. It's, 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 a, it's a violation of basic logic. Because God is all-powerful, he cannot, there's nothing he can create that he cannot handle. So that's like saying, well, can't God do anything? Well, he can't make a, a round square. He can't, he can't make a married bachelor. He doesn't do anything illogical. But as we begin to teach our family, I'm, we're not teaching our kids rules. Don't do this. Why? Because, you know, if I, when I want your opinion, I'll knock it out of you. No, it's, it's, it's saying, let me explain why you don't want to do this. You know, when you see a sign and you're, and you're driving down the road, it says danger, bridge out, big drop-off. There's like a drop-off coming. You don't drive by that sign and go, well, there's a lot of translations to that sign. There's a lot of different interpretations. That sign was written by men. And then you drive off the cliff. And people say, why did God let that happen? Well, God didn't want to let that happen. There was a sign right there saying danger, bridge out, do not go there. God isn't trying to ruin your fun. He's trying to save you from the ditch. Well, I believe in a force. I've been watching Mandalorian and Baby Yoda, and I, I believe there's a, not dog and Baby Yoda, though. Not. But you know, gravity doesn't care about you. If it's a force, see, we like a force, so we like there's something out there. We can manipulate that force like we do electricity. Turn it off, turn it on. Turn it off, turn it on. That's what we want God to be like. But all of a sudden, if that force has a personality and can see and cares and is conscious, now that's getting uncomfortable. But we build into our family the sense of truth. Well, I wouldn't want to push my religion on my kids. Well, I don't want you to do that either. But you don't say that about the multiplication tables. I mean, why are we so adamant that our kids make good grades and understand their schoolwork? We believe the multiplication tables are true. We're not convinced this is true. You see, the gospel is just as true as any mathematical formula. There was a God. God exists. Jesus is his son, and he was raised from the dead in history. It's what you call public truth, not private truth. Builds your family. Builds in them a confidence of truth. If you, have, if you have a phone, or let's say if you have a compass, rather, 
and, every, and everywhere you point, it just points to you. You're never going to get out of the, the lost condition. You have to have a compass that has an objective reference point. And when you give your family truth, you're giving them an objective reference point. And when you're not there to tell them, don't do that, don't watch this, don't do that. Remember one time when my kids were real little, my youngest, something came on the television and he reached up and put his, he said, don't look, Dad. I said, how'd you know to tell me not to look? We're not going to always be there to say, don't do this and don't do that. They have to have some kind of internal uh, thing inside of them that, that is drawn to truth and knows what truth is. The gospel is that ultimate compass. Number four, the blessings of the gospel, it builds lifelong friendships. Forty years ago, I started in ministry at Mississippi State University. Just a few weeks ago, I stood on a stage with almost 500 students at Mississippi State. And the man that led me to the Lord was in the audience. Lifelong friend. I loved him. You know what? He didn't have to ask me to come to church. He led me to the Lord, and I just followed him around. I just said, you don't mind? I'm not stalking you. Can I just follow you? I remember he took me to my first Christian concert. He got out of the car. He hitched his pants up. He goes, I'm fixing to get blessed. <laughs> I got out of the car. I was watching him. I just said, me too. <laughs> I mean, he, discipleship was just whatever he did, I did. Whatever he said, I said. I was engaged to be married. I didn't marry her. I married the one I'm married to now 37 years later, but I was engaged to be married. And the girl I was going to marry had a boyfriend before me who at Mississippi State was the craziest guy on our campus. He single-handedly lost the Ole Miss game for us because he stood over the, where the players come in and dump beer on them, and they came They were fired up because that guy from Mississippi State threw beer on them. His name is Robert Sherman, and, and uh, my former girlfriend told me all these bad stories about him, and so I was going to take him out, not kill him, but, you know, hurt him. <laughs> so I walked up to him after I got saved. I walked, to, walked right up to him at Mississippi State. I said, I'm Rice Brooks. I was going to hurt you, but I'm saved now. I want you to forgive me for wanting to hurt you. Scared him to death. When I was living with a girl, went straight home, broke up with her, He's a pastor today in Dallas. He was there 40 years later. So the guy that led me to the Lord and the crazy guy on campus, lifelong friendships. Proverbs 12, 26. See if that pops up on the screen. If not, I'm just going to keep saying it. Are we? Okay, there it comes. At least it's on that screen. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Which way are you leading people? Number five, it builds bridges. The gospel, what is the blessings of the gospel? Nothing ends racism like the gospel. Nothing ends racism like the gospel. Pastor James and I will be in a few weeks out in Sacramento where a young man named Stefan Clark was shot in his grandmother's backyard. And I went out there with 200 pastors of all ethnicities and, and uh, began to minister to them because of what we've seen happen here and in other countries where reconciliation is a big part of our ministry. And so Pastor James and I will go back to the city and help lead this Martin Luther King march. 
But it's not just because we're nice guys and we just, you know, we just, you know, we just kind of like each other. If the gospel had not come into our lives, we would be enemies. Nothing ends racism like the gospel. There's a group, Dr. Greg Okerson of uh, Asbury Seminary. Many of our ministers go to Asbury up in, As, in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky. And he called me the other day and he said, uh, he said uh, there's a legend building that on your first Sunday when I became pastor in 2000, uh, that you stood up on your first Sunday and said, I'm not going to pastor a white church. I said, that's not true. It was my third Sunday. <laughs> because there's over 100 nations in the city. Jesus died for the whole world. He didn't die for one ethnicity only. The gospel builds bridges. Number six, it builds your communication skills. Proverbs 11.30 says, he who wins souls is wise. Winning somebody to Christ is not about just saying, you're going to hell. Tennessee people, they, 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 it's, it's spelled H-A-I-L. You're going to hell. This is, the, the early Christians were not motivated by heaven and hell. They did not go out and go, y'all going to hell. They went out and said, he's alive. He's changed our lives. He's been raised from the dead. He's the king that was promised by the Old Testament prophets, the Messiah. They had a positive message. It was good news. You have to be wise. The best way to understand winning somebody to Christ is like getting a a, a, taking a, a tennis shoe with a knot. You ever had somebody, one of your kids, bring you a shoe with a knot? And you have to, you know, now good Pentecostal, we just go in the name of Jesus. <laughs> just pull that knot. I'm just going to pull it harder. You know, if you watch an American, when we travel internationally, Americans, if, if, if they don't think somebody understands them, they just talk louder. I need to go to McDonald's. Talking louder isn't going to help. Just because, well, if you don't think the preacher's right, well, preacher, just raise the voice up. Some of you visitors wondering if I'm going to switch into another gear. No, no, this is all I got. This is it. You're seeing me at my best. Nothing else is coming. So just lower your expectations. It builds your communication skills, though. I can get you to Atlanta. Can help you. If you want to know, if you're wanting to know the answer to that question, I can help you. Why? Because number seven, learning how to be effective in the gospel builds your brain, forces you to study. You can't be ignorant. Africa's not a country. Okay? I mean, we have to we have to learn, we have to think. When we sound, when we speak ignorantly because we haven't done our homework, and there's never been a better time to learn, there's never been a better time. It's not that we're trusting in our mind, but yet we have to be able to give an answer. One of my favorite quotes, not a Christian quote, but it says this, in times of change, learners inherit the earth. While the learned or the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. Ancient philosopher named Heraclitus said, you can't step in the same river twice. It's going to be a lot of noise. Stand to your feet because that will help me close. I'm land the plane. I'm already over time. 
The oxygen mask will fall out so fast you're going to think we're crash landing here. But when it comes to when it comes to, to knowledge, when it comes to being able to give an answer, 1 Peter chapter 3 says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's within you. The gospel builds leaders. As you learn to lead somebody to Christ, that leadership doesn't stop in there. You're developing a muscle that helps you learn to lead in other areas of life. It builds your future, your life's work. There's no question why Clemson and other places do well. I just was the other day with the, with the pastors of, the, of all, many of the Clemson coaches. If you saw the game last night, they go to church, they're faithful. Wherever you see the gospel going, it affects people. Now, that doesn't mean that if you, I tell coaches all the time, because come on up, Pastor James, I tell coaches all the time when they say, well, if I, one, one, one NFL coach I was playing golf with, and he goes, we, we kind of paused, waiting on the, 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 the green to clear up. He looked at me and kind of said this. He said, let, let me ask you a question. He says, how does this work? If you like six Christians on this team praying, three on this team praying, did they win by three? I mean, he was really trying to figure out how this praying, you know, and I say, look, number one, if you serve God, yes, he will bless you, and you might win. But then again, if you study history, Christians have never done well in Colosseums. So you might get eaten. So you can praise God when you win, but when, you're, when you lose, let's hear some give glory to God then too. But overall, what the gospel does is it puts you on a trajectory of success. Meaning that you're not living and dying on whether you won or lost that week. You're not putting this pressure on young people, screaming at them because you're afraid of your job. There's a confidence, there's a trust. And I'll stop with this. It builds a city. Come here, Pastor James, and stand with me. It says, righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. Exalts a city. We're here to be a blessing to this city. When the gospel comes to a city, when the gospel comes to a nation, it's a blessing. When you show up at work, when you show up with your family, we're not religious weirdos. We're not rule-keeping, angry fundamentalists. We're people that know God, that love God, that are there to lift people up. We're not there to torment them. We're there to help them. Let me pray. Father, thank you today for the gospel. We could mention the rewards. You said those who reap are, are earning wages for eternal life. We don't earn our way into heaven, but something happens because of the work and the life we live. Lord, we seek for every individual in this room to not do this to build Bethel. We're not trying to get you to bring people to Bethel, so to speak. We're trying to get you to bring people to Jesus. And then, yeah, bring them here. We'll help equip them. We'll help train them. And we'll help train others to do what you can do, to see the gospel expand to the ends of the earth. Lord, we dedicate this last Sunday of the decade. We thank you for what you've done this past 10 years. Lord, we're looking ahead as if now all that was prelude to something coming that's great. Bless this house. Bless this pastor. Bless this team as they lead us forward into this new decade. May we be more determined ever than ever before 
to be clear, to be convinced, and to be compassionate, to present this gospel in a way that people can understand it and receive it. May every person from the front to the back be equipped. And let this not just be my job and Pastor James' job. May every man, woman, boy, and girl in this house be able to lead people to you. To your glory and honor, we pray. In Jesus' name. If you've watched this message and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I've got good news. You can do it right now. I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life for the rest of my life. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I need you, my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I confess that you are now Lord of my life. If you've just prayed that prayer, I have good news for you. You have eternal life. The next step for you is to get in a Bible-believing church. We volunteer to be that church. But if not us, we pray God's blessings on you as you search for God's best for you. Thank you. Bethel World Outreach Church, reaching a city to touch the world.